you're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. Hello and welcome everyone back to The Way Home Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me today. This is your host, Dan Darling. We have a great guest in store for us today, something that I think is be real practical and helpful for you in your church as you do ministry. Before we do that, I want to let you know again about my book, Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved. I've had the opportunity to be uh, doing quite a few radio, TV, podcast, print interviews about this book. So you may have heard about it, you may have not have, but it's from Zondervan and it's available. This might be my most personal book. I talk a little bit about growing up in the church, why I still love the church, talk about cynicism. There's so much cynicism today about the church, bad headlines, scandals, all that, but why I still believe in the church. I also talk about some betrayals and church hurt and how the Lord has helped me to forgive and overcome that and how he can help you forgive and overcome those things as well. So many things in here talking about Christian unity, Christian love, what are the things worth fighting for? What are the things not worth fighting for? Anyways, I would love for you to get this book, Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Love. I think it'll help you, help your church. So you can go to my website, danieldarling.com. I have links to places you can buy that wherever you'd like to buy that. It's available everywhere, your favorite bookstore, Amazon, Barnes Noble, whatever. Love for you to get it. If you do, please don't hesitate to use a contact a form, drop me a line or uh, connect with me on social media and tell me your thoughts on it. So go get that book, Agents of Grace, forward by J.D. Greer. Okay, my guest today is Jen Oshman. Jen is a pastor's wife. She's a writer and author. Uh, her and her husband served as missionaries for several years overseas, and now are back. They do ministry church plant in the uh, Colorado, and uh, she's a great writer. I've read a number of her articles, and she has a new book out. It's called Welcome, Loving Your Church by Making Space for Everyone. Just a really good book for people to have, and they want to be more welcoming for people who walk in the doors of your church. I have been in church ministry most of my life, so I've either been on a church staff or part of a church staff, but there's been a couple seasons where I've actually had to to look for a church, and I didn't realize what a kind of a hard thing that is to to shop around for the, the church that you feel God is calling you to. Obviously, there are things that matter why we should pick a church. Are they preaching the gospel? Are they preaching the Bible? Do they believe the right things, the truth? You probably are going to pick a church based on your confession, your tradition, right? So I'm I'm, I'm Southern Baptist, so if I move to a new town, I'm going to pick a Southern Baptist church. If you're Presbyterian, you're probably going to find a PCA church, something like that. But within that, you know, it you want to find a church that you fit in, that your kids, that you make friends, all that. So how can people who are on staff at church or volunteer, key volunteers, how can we make people feel welcome? What are some things we can do? Very helpful, practical things. So I think this conversation will help you. Let's join Jen Oshman. I'm glad to have on the podcast, I think for the first time, Jen Oshman. Jen, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So I've I've been reading your stuff for a while and I love 
the things that you write, your articles and podcasts, and you have a, a book out that I want to talk about. But uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm in Fort Worth. You're in Denver. And uh, through the miracle of technology, we can have this conversation. But thank you for coming on. Yes, it's great. So your story a little bit, I know we've we've talked before, but correct me if I'm wrong, but you you have spent some time on the mission field right? Yeah, that's right. So my husband and I married about 24 years ago, finished up seminary and headed overseas with a newborn baby. And we spent 15 years overseas in Japan and the Czech Republic, came home seven years ago back to Colorado, and also planted a church here. So we've done ministry um, on three different continents. Yeah, it's so interesting because I imagine I was just talking to someone today over lunch, a pastor here in Fort Worth. You probably have this experience. You, you were overseas as missionaries, you know, bringing the gospel to people groups overseas. But the way that the nations are coming here to the United States, yes. I imagine in in Denver, you feel sort of like a missionary planning your church there, right? Absolutely. So for a couple reasons. One, Colorado is very unchurched. Mm. Our actual community right here, according to the last census, is highly, um, people call themselves nuns, religious nuns. In fact, Mm -hmm. as high as 67% in my county Mm. say they have no religious affiliation. So there's that people group. But also we live, interestingly enough, on a neighborhood block where we are the only non-Indian immigrant family. My whole Mm. block, except for the Ashmans, are immigrants from India, and they're all practicing Hindus. Mm. So we do feel like we are missionaries here in the U.S. in a couple different ways. Yeah, that that is fascinating. And I've heard it said about the West, places like Denver. I've heard it said, I've been to Phoenix a few times. I'm not sure if this is Denver, that it's it's less like de-churched, like people are are mad about the church and they've left, but more like pre- like maybe they just haven't had an experience with the church or is that, you know, like less post-Christian and more like pre-Christian in the West. Is that true? I think that is true because this, there's, this has never been the Bible Belt culture. I know I was born right. and raised here. And so people live in Colorado either because they were born here or they come here, usually for a love of the great outdoors. I mean, people right. come here to follow a lifestyle. So Coloradans are typically very laid back. Um, and they really love their nature and they want to be outside and they want to be athletic and they want to be healthy and don't really, I think, even put God in the equation. It's like, mm. I'm good. I'm healthy. I'm happy on this mountain. I don't need Jesus. Mm. Well, every time I visit and like walk out of the hotel or walk out of wherever we're meeting and I see those mountains, I'm like, this is amazing to just walk out and see mountains. That's pretty awesome. So I want to talk about Uh, Your latest book, it's with the Good Book Company. It's called Welcome, Loving Your Church by Making Space for Everyone. And I I really like this. It's part of a series by the Good Book Company, forward by Tim Challies, who, by the way, invented the internet, if you didn't know. (laughs) I think you're right. Yeah, he he basically, him and Al Gore invented the internet together. (laughs) But a great book, an important book on really like how to how to welcome people. So just talk a a little bit about why you came to write this book. I imagine some of your missionary experience and church planning experience like uh, has helped shape the way you think about what people experience when they, when they first come into the church. 
Yeah. This book was really fun to write, actually. I really just enjoyed it because I, for one, really focused on the welcome of Jesus. And because we've been welcomed by him, we can then welcome others. So just basking in how my Lord has welcomed me was obviously really encouraging. Mm -hmm. But then I just got to tell a lot of stories about what welcome looks like overseas as well as here at home. Now, the Good Book Company approached me. They said, we're doing this series. Are you, would you like to participate with this book, Welcome? And I had read Tony Morita's book, Love Your Church. And mm-hmm. this series is modeled after that book with each of his chapters then taking on the shape of a whole book. And I loved reading Love Your Church by Tony, um, read it as we were coming out of COVID um, because I love the church. I love the global church. I love my mm-hmm. local church. So to get on board with a project that's going to just encourage and equip the church was thrilling to me. And especially this particular topic of welcome. Yeah. And I love that you said that, that your spirit of of loving the church, both your local church and the global church, you know, that's sort of been one of my themes in the last few years. And even with mm-hmm. my new book, Agents of Grace, talking about, yeah. I have a chapter on cynicism. And I just think, Jen, that cynicism about the evangelical church is almost like a cottage industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm obviously not to say that there isn't issues and problems. There's scandals, right. there's issues, right. there's problems we have to deal with. You shouldn't sweep those under the rug. We need accountability. Right. But I feel like there's almost a there's almost a ministry lane or where people can just get into this place where that's what they do. They just are constantly, you know, harping on the church. And I think you can get sort of formed and catechized almost by mm-hmm. bad headlines mm-hmm. where you can't like look up and see actually what God is doing, where he's at work in the world. And so I love that you have that heart that like, hey, I love the church and I love God's people. Uh, yeah. So maybe talk about have finding joy in in what Mm -hmm. is kind of a cynical world when it comes to Christianity. Yeah. Well, I am no better than the next guy. I mean, I can be cynical in a heartbeat and I I have a natural bent towards sort of sarcasm and maybe suspicion. And so I can be sucked into, you know, the Twitter dumpster fire in a second. So I don't pretend to be above it by any means. And I do have to watch myself and just ask the Lord for help in that and to set up boundaries and parameters so I don't get catechized by that because I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I think, though, my affection for the church comes really from growing up in a non-Christian family and just being raised sort of in a really worldly context and then hearing the gospel and then becoming a daughter of the king and um, being saved by Jesus and joining this new family, this family I have in Christ and having spiritual mothers and brothers and sisters to surround me. So, you know, and this, as we went overseas as well, it was it was the church that became our closest family. It was the church who helped us raise mm. our kids on foreign soil. And so I really feel like the warmth effect of being welcomed in out of the cold by a sweet, nurturing family, which isn't perfect. And, you know, having been in ministry now for 24 years, <laughs> there, there's a lot of problems and some of them are within me and some of them are within others. So I don't, I don't pretend that they're not there and they do have to be addressed head on, but there's just no human reason that I would be in the family of God. There's just nothing I can point to. There's no spiritual pedigree. There's nothing that I did well, but the Lord looked on me and in his kindness, he saved Mm. me and made me one of his own. And I will never get over that. And I want, I want others to know that as well. Mm. I think about the fact that, most of my deep hurts 
have come from Christians. Christians have hurt me. Yeah. But Christians, most of my blessings have come mm. from Christians. Like Christians have helped me. So yeah. even in my most, you know, your days where you're like, man, this is unfair. This is not good. You think of all the Christians that have helped and how the church has helped. Yeah. And people have made meals and casseroles when you mm. uh, you have a, a hardship or a tragedy or people give you opportunities or encouraged you. And so I just I just love that, that spirit. Let's talk about welcoming people into the church. You, you know, I think those of us who've, who've grown up in church, Sometimes, especially those of us in ministry world, can maybe forget what a, I would say awkward, but hard time. Someone who first visits the church, I'm talking, I'm not even talking about professional Christians necessarily, or, 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 yeah. or Christians who've been, let's say you moved to a new town, like we moved to Fort Worth. And so you already kind of have a, you, you want to find a church, but someone who is not church, who comes into a church, what a big move that is for them. And just just talk about how we as the church can welcome folks like that, what that looks like, what are the things you you encourage churches and church leaders to, to think about? Yeah, I do think we can get so used to church life that we forget what it is like for an outsider. Um, but I, so my parents divorced when I was eight. And when I was nine, mm. my mom took me to church for the first time. She felt just the draw to it. And we were invited by a girl on my soccer team. I played soccer and mm. her dad was a pastor. And they said, hey, you, you can come to our church. Would you like to come? You know, and we did. But I remember well what it felt like to walk into a church for the first time, just me and my single mom, and come into this sanctuary full of intact families. Um, and she chose a great church by God's grace. You know, the Lord, like that she, my mom was said, yeah, we'll go to this church with this particular people because it was a reformed church and we heard the gospel it was preached beautifully. The love of Christ was there, but everybody had a last name that was really Dutch. <laughs> everybody. It was like, it was like, they were literally all related to each other and a mom and a dad, you know, and then there's me and my mom and we didn't know the songs. We didn't know the liturgy. We didn't know anything, but they were so kind and gracious just in the sanctuary. And then I ran off to children's church when it was time for that. And the sweetest old man, Mr. Tilsley, I will never forget him, mm. just took me under his wing. And he taught me the Lord's Prayer. And he gave me a big hug every Sunday. Um, and it was beautiful. And so I'm talking about a church that was faithful, but not, there were no like amazing programs. It wasn't flashy. It was just the people of God extending warmth and grace to others. And, and there's really no formula. There's really no magic. Um, it's just remembering what it feels like to be an outsider into making this those steps to go toward the one who is different or toward the one who obviously is new here um, and bringing them in and making them part of your family. Mm, I really like that. We'll be right back with our guests, but right now I'd like you to listen to a sample chapter of my book, Agents of Grace. I'm writing to say that God is still at work in the world and to say that Christian love and spiritual unity are still worth pursuing. While I've been hurt by Christians, I've also been immensely blessed by Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ have been there for me in my pain. Single mothers who made meals when my wife endured a serious illness. Small group leaders who gave me money when I was suddenly unemployed and scared. A pastor who called and preached the word of God to me when I was in despair. I've been blessed by wise matriarchs with arthritic knees who called on spiritual fire from heaven on my behalf when I was weak. I've been healed by friends who left everything and came to my side when I needed hope. 
Thank you for listening to the sample chapter of Agents of Grace. As a reminder, you can get this book anywhere books are sold. You can go to my website, danieldarling.com, for more information. But for now, let's rejoin our conversation on the Way Home Podcast. In some sense, you know, the rituals and symbols of Christianity are so important and so meaningful. And and I don't think we should strip those away to make it more accessible to people who are on the outside, right? I think there was a sort of a move to do that yeah. in the early 90s to say, oh, you know, no crosses, none of that. At the same time, you know, having that welcoming spirit of of explaining to people for the first time, this is what it means to be a Christian. Again, I think those of us who've been ministry a long time, we might assume a lot on the part of our hearers, you know, even when we yeah. preach that, oh, they they know this, or they know the, the basic contours of Christian faith. They know these doctrines. Really, th- there's a need, right, to, to sort of walk people through what it looks like to be a Christian and what all this stuff means, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I knew nothing going in there as a nine-year-old and then, you know, going through my teen years. Mm-hmm. I truly knew nothing. I did not know what was in the Bible. I did not know mm-hmm. what the gospel was. didn't know who Jesus claimed to be. And so I think, I think it's really just a posture of the heart, a, a posture of remembering what it is to be vulnerable or marginalized or an outsider and mm-hmm. to really seek to walk in someone else's shoes when we're at church. You know, it's so tempting and I'm absolutely guilty of this and prone to this. It's so tempting on a Sunday morning or even like with a small group situation or a women's Bible study to just go seek my people. Like what's easy? My mm-hmm. friends, go get coffee, get cozy, sit down with my girlfriends, you know, and enjoy my family. And while indeed one function of our time when we gather corporately is to be encouraged by one another and deepen those friendships, that's not the only purpose. And so, you know, Jesus, I just in the book, I do this a lot and I rehearse this to myself. Jesus went so far. I mean, he stopped at nothing to start a relationship with me. He gave up his very life that I might be welcomed in. And so it's okay for us as Christians to put down our coffee, to leave our holy huddle, to leave our click, and to take those awkward steps and to go say, hey, I don't think I've met you before, or or maybe I have met you before, but I just don't remember. My name's Jen, or forgive me if I've seen you before. I'm Jen. You know, there, there's a hundred ways you can start that conversation. And in so doing, you just make that people, that person feel seen. But I say in the book, and I'll just say now, don't stop there. Like don't, it's, the book isn't called greeting. The book is called welcome. <laughs> and so mm. we don't want to just greet on a Sunday morning, we want to build a bridge that people might come more deeply into the church and into our Mm. faith family. I'm glad you said that. I'd love for you to share just some practical things that average church people can do to welcome new folks into their their body. But I, I would love for you to explain welcome because, you know, one of the cliches that we say, which I think is a good one, a good saying that, you know, Jesus accepts us for who we are, but doesn't want to keep us that way. So on the one hand, you know, you're, there's a tension of we want to welcome everyone into in to hear the life-saving message of the gospel, but we want to welcome them into a, a life of Christ where he's going to change us. You know, that gets a little bit more harder and controversial as the culture changes, as all, all those things. So, so, so talk about, help us think through what welcome, what it means to welcome in that sense. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the... The more our culture in America becomes 
more post-Christian, the more awkward it is and weird it is to go to church and to welcome people Mm. into church. And that divide is just going to keep growing, I think. So that's just an excellent point. We, and I share this in the book, something we do is we share a liturgy of welcome that was first you know, shared or created at Emmanuel Nashville. And you're probably familiar with it, but it's, you know, the, this church opens wide her doors, all who are hungry and all who need rest, all who are weary, all who sin. I I don't have it memorized, but every Sunday we put that up on the screen at church and we rehearse it. We say it out loud. I should have it memorized. I guess I rely on the screen too much, Um, but we say it out loud. And what I love about that is that it's shaping everybody in there who's hearing it and saying it. For one, it's reminding the church members and attendees that we are broken and that we are weary and that we have come here because we are sinners in need of grace. And then secondly, it says to the newcomer, this is a crowd of people who doesn't think they've arrived. This is a crowd of people who doesn't think they are righteous or perfect or better than me or better than those who are on the outside. And so I think that that one simple practice is not enough, but it's shaping our body and it's letting a visitor know right away that we don't think we are perfect. We don't think we have arrived. And I do think a key piece in welcoming others, if I'm going to welcome my neighbors or welcome a a family member who doesn't know Jesus or a coworker or a friend, I need to already be modeling that for them in my life. I need to already be somebody who is transparent, who is honest and authentic and who is real about where I fall short and where I mess up and where my help comes from and where my hope for change comes from. So that my invitation to church then is seamless because they already know who I am. They already know I'm a sinner in need of a savior. They already know that I've tasted amazing grace and that God is good and faithful. And so then I can bring them into church where they're going to hear the same thing. But if we try to present this thing to our neighbors or to our friends that like, oh, we're good. We're very moral. We Christians don't behave that way. We don't talk that way. We Christians don't you know, fall in those ways. We are better than that. If we're presenting that or even putting our hope in like, oh, I can't screw up in front of other people. What will they think about Christians? If we're you know, sort of white knuckling good behavior, hmm. then I think our friends and family are going to think, well, the church is made up of people who either have really arrived and are morally perfect or people who haven't, but they think they are. Mm, I like that. And at the same time, I, I just love the way you, you frame that. Like you, you welcome to a, a group of imperfect people who are working their, their way toward Christ likeness through, through the power yes. of the spirit. At the same time, I've heard people say, I forget who, who said it, but I think it's great. But like welcoming them into the strangeness of the gospel, right? Like, as they come in and as they understand what it is to be a Christian, as they find out what Christians believe, not even backing away from our distinctives, but saying, you know, actually it gets even crazier. You know, this is the way that Christians order their lives uh, when it comes to sexuality. This is the way that Christians order their lives when it comes to money. And these are the things we believe about the end of days that are even stranger. Uh, Welcome to this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're weird. There's just no getting around it. Like Christians are different. Our our faith is strange. There's nothing about our faith that really sort of is automatic according to our intuition or mm-hmm. our flesh. It is it is not a man-made religion. And so it's not going to feel like an automatic man-made easy thing to explain or to share. I do find myself whenever I share the gospel with a non-believer or even participate in some kind of gospel-related conversation, it's like, yeah, what we believe is strange. 
you know, we just celebrated Easter and the resurrection and, and these things are wild. And yet there is so much historical reliability to our faith and good reasons for us to believe. Um, and it's the hope that we have, you know, where else would we go? Where else would we turn? This is, um, these are the words of life that we have through Christ. And so I think it's, you know, I've been encouraging believers more lately in opportunities I've had to speak about cultural issues. It's okay. Like we can take the plunge. We just jump off the high dive and be the weirdo in your community. Like what? I don't know why. And I do this too. So I'm not pointing the finger at everybody else. I'm pointing it at myself as well. Mm -hmm. But like, why do we work so hard to like fit in and not be the strange neighbor or the strange coworker? Like, we are strange. So maybe we just embrace it and, and go for it. But with warmth and kindness and winsomeness, yeah. not not jerky behavior. You yeah. Know? No, that's exactly right. People are looking for an alternative. They're looking for another king and another kingdom. They're looking for something different than what they've tried throughout the week that isn't working. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have the opportunity to say there is a better way. And to not just be otherworldly with some of our beliefs in the way we feel God has ordered the world and ordered us, but otherworldly with our kindness and yeah. with our warmth. So yeah, they ha- people say, yeah, they, they have some really strange beliefs and, and the gospel demands a lot of us, but also, man, these were the, the people that welcomed me and the, the kindest yes. people that I've met. I just love that. I think about Jen, when I have a friend who is an, an avid, Texas A&M, like Aggies, like fan. There actually is no other kind, actually. I was going to say, aren't they all? (laughs) He, I'm like crazy and invited me to several games like a few years ago. And they have all these rituals and they have all these things that they do and they wear their rings and they have these chants and these things. And what struck me is when I came, he didn't like, he didn't, they didn't like change who they were. For the newcomer, they didn't say, okay, Dan's here. Let's not do our normal thing at the games. Actually, they dialed it up a notch for (laughs) the newcomer. Yes. And I wasn't put off by that. I was like, it was kind of like, welcome into this group of people who have this bond by this unique thing. And I think about that with the church that that's, I mean, we shouldn't be crazy and weird on purpose. I mean, there's a difference between being distinct and just being like weird, right? And they're crazy, weird Christians. Right. You know, right. sometimes we're those people, but, but I, I just love the way that you frame that and, um, you know, how, how you welcome people into this, into this life of Christ. Yeah. There's a, an analogy that I use in the book and I, it kind of rolls off my tongue more and more lately, but it's to be a porch light in a dark night. And mm. I think that we are, we're living in a dark night right now. Um, and that is evident. I mean, the sociological data backs that up 100% as we, mm people feel darkness and we feel discouraged and disheartened and despairing. And so people are looking, they're looking for a better story and they're looking for hope and love and care. And so my encouragement and reminder to myself is be a porch light in a dark night, be that warm glow that people are attracted to, that they keep walking by and going, maybe I should go in. Maybe there's something there. And you are going to shine and you're going to stick out. And that's okay because what you have to offer is life. Mm, mm. Yeah, that that's really beautiful. And I think when you think of welcome, this sort of open posture to reach our communities, to love our communities. Yeah. And I, I think back to talking about cynicism a little bit, Jen, I think we, you know, if we're not careful, we could read headlines, we could read all these reports and forget that there are people in our communities who 
are genuinely seeking God. They're genuinely seeking what is true. People who have maybe a crisis in their life and really God wants to do a work in them. And if we're not careful that we can sort of miss that, miss that opportunity. You know, I think, you know, today, you know, I, I, like we sometimes convince ourselves that maybe God's best days are behind him, that the Holy Spirit isn't doing that kind of work anymore. And, and he really is. I mean, we hear stories every day. I'm sure with you and your church plant there that you're, you're seeing stories all the time of people who are coming to faith or who have are seeking God after trying everything else, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's genuine. I mean, those people are out there. And so what a shame it would be for us to withhold our testimony and withhold hope and grace. Again, I just, it's throughout the book and it's something that I try to remind myself and others of is that Jesus stopped at nothing to make Mm. us his own. So we can go and do likewise. We, we can also extend the the invitation to others and and they are searching and they are looking. People are hungry. We see that every week, no matter what continent I've been on. Um, people mm. are looking for light and life and how incredibly tragic to be a believer who withholds that from others. And, and, and Dan, I'll be honest, like, even as I say that, I feel convicted myself <laughs> because I know that I miss or intentionally dodge opportunities to share the gospel or to, to be an encouragement or to extend a warm welcome to others every week. And so I just want to remember Christ's unmatchable love and the distance that he went and be motivated by that, just overwhelmed by his goodness and what it felt like for me to be welcomed in and then extend that to those outside Mm -hmm. as well. Well, I want to encourage folks to get this book. It's called Welcome Loving Your Church by Making Space for Everyone. And uh, Jen has also written a few other books that are really excellent. Enough About Me, Finding Lasting Joy in the Age of Self, which is a great book, and one on cultural counterfeits. Jen, so thankful for your work, your articles, your books, podcasts. want to urge folks to to go ahead and get this book and, and really buy a bunch of them for your church so that you can really train your people. Jen, as we close, maybe you can give maybe a, f- a couple practical things that churches can do to make people feel welcome that maybe church people don't think about. Mm, That's really good. Um, Well, I think one first thing that we need to be doing is praying, genuinely just praying for our neighbors, Mm. praying for the people in our community. We forget that. I think as as sort of self-sufficient doers and goers and active people, prayer is often left out of the equation. So praying is key. I think it's really helpful if we study our communities and just see what do our neighbors feel like their needs are? You know, we might we might be able to say, well, their need is Jesus, but what, where are they feeling like they're lacking? And, and is there a creative way we can meet them in that? Um, and then when they come to church, when they maybe come through the door, well, first of all, let me say the best way to get somebody to church is to invite them. That's just hands down, always going to be the case is you to extend a personal invitation. But for those who trickle in, which is pretty rare in Colorado, maybe not everywhere else. We have a few people that trickle in every month just because they're like, oh, here's a church I'm walking by. I think I'll go in seeing them. You know, Rebecca McLaughlin said once on Twitter years ago, um, an alone person in church is an emergency. And I think that's Mm. such a great quote. If you see Mm. an alone person, doesn't matter who you are, what you've got to do, go straight to that alone person and introduce yourself. Um, I would encourage you to maybe not sit with your family every Sunday 
but break up and go sit with different alone people, each Mm. of you, and just have this kind of culture, a welcoming culture is contagious. You do it and your friends will do it and their friends will do it. And all of a sudden you will have a church culture that is very welcoming and everyone will recognize that alone person is an emergency. Let me go sit by them. Let me go talk to them. And then don't stop there. Introduce yourself. Give them your number. Hey, if you need anything, if you've got any questions about the church, send me a text, call me. If you're free this week and want to come to our small group, it's at my house. I'd love to have you. Those th- those invitations are very countercultural and they're scary, but they also are extremely warm and exhibit a ton of care and kindness to a newcomer. And so what do you have to lose? You know, give it a try. Mm, that's really good. Well, Jen Oshman, thank you for joining me today. I want to encourage folks to get uh, her book, Welcome, and also check out her other titles. We'll have links to all that in the show notes. Thank you for joining me today. Appreciate it. Yes. Thanks. So, thanks so much, Dan. Grateful for you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. Thank you for listening to the Way Home Podcast. Podcast.